We're going to continue to worship the Lord together with uh, the reading of God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in the Gospel of Luke and the 23rd chapter. Luke chapter 23. Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorites, he said, uh, The man who has been forgiven of his sin is clothed in praise. I think that's true. I've loved singing those songs together. Two, two lines, I might not I quote them precisely when we were singing, made me think of who we're going to look at. Uh, There's not a place that your mercy and grace can't find me. That's true. Wherever you are, there's not a place that His mercy and grace can't find me. And then the song we just sang, In desperation, I turn to Jesus. I almost heard this man say amen when we sang that. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray together and study this together. Father, the same Jesus, the same Jesus that has a heart for Mary is the Jesus who has a heart for this criminal. Most of us, in some semblance, can get kind of there in the first to care about those who care about us. But not many of us, none of us apart from the grace of God will ever get to where we care about our enemies, care about those who mock us. But Jesus, while we were yet your enemies, Christ died for us. So give us grace to the word of God will be alive and active among us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your Bible there, we're going to look at the man who's often referred to as the thief on the cross. And most importantly, we're going to look at Jesus. The, the Greek word is, is criminal. It's a, it's a serious word. This isn't a man who shoplifted. In fact, you can hear from his own words, he knows how serious his actions have been. He says, I'm getting what I deserve. So he's been guilty of some serious crimes. I want to be up front uh, that I am appealing to you to, to look at the crucified Christ, to consider him carefully. I, I was reading a couple of weeks ago that in 1986, 
and carrying over into 1987, the United States Navy saw a surge in the number of enlistments. In a single year, enlistments increased by 500%. So what led to this dramatic increase? Well, in the spring of 1986, Paramount Pictures released a film called Top Gun. Maybe some of you have seen it. Maverick, Goose, Iceman, who's with me? Hollywood, Slider, flying the F-14 Tomcat into the sunset while the Righteous Brothers sing about not losing that loving feeling, right? Had such an effect on so many that 500% increase in enlistments. And when I read that, I always think to myself how so many were disappointed to realize very, very, very small percentage of those who enlist will ever get in the cockpit of an F-14. I want to be up front with you this morning. I am seeking to recruit you to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we want to be forthright about it, straightforward. No, no glamorous Hollywood film is needed. The Word of God is what leads to faith. So we've got no gimmick this morning. Simply use the means that God has ordained for the task. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So I want us to look together here from the perspective of one who was there, this thief, this criminal. So let's start with this, the, the situation he finds himself in. And by the way, I've, I know I've got an outline, so we're on the same page about this. We're, we're going to fill in those blanks at the very end after we accumulate some information, both obviously about Mary and then about this criminal, and then we'll get to the character of Jesus the situation that he's in, we're told right here in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to, what's the word in your Bible? Death. That's his situation. He is about to die. Can you imagine, can you imagine entering a day that you knew was your last day? Now, as we said last week, death is inevitable. I know, I know. We'd rather talk about the weather, talk about the sports, talk about the score last night. But listen, if you know something's going to happen and you don't think about it carefully, well, that would be foolish. So this man has a, I don't even know if, uh, I don't even know if a benefit's the right word. It seems strange to say it that way. But, but he knows it's his last day. He knows I am going to die today. And it is not going to be pleasant. They've led him away to be crucified. They're crucifying him with, with Jesus. Now, most of us, most of us aren't going to know our last day is our last day. One of the privileges that I have of being a pastor is conducting funeral services, talk about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, most all the funerals I've done, they didn't know. It was going to be that year or that month, that week, even that day. But he knew. And his initial response to Jesus is not favorable. In fact, in Mark, you don't have to turn there. Just listen. In Mark chapter 15, in uh, verse 32, the Bible records, they went to, a, um, that's Mark 14. Let me get it right. Mark Mark. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So he begins this scene reviling Jesus. 
But as the hours progress, something changes. What changed? What moved him from reviling Jesus to seeking Jesus? Well, if we look at our passage, there's only one statement attributed to Jesus. It's in verse 34. Jesus said, and in in the Greek language, the connotation is he was saying it um, again and again. Didn't just say it one time, he's saying it again. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We've read enough verses together this morning that you can get the scene. Everyone, including the criminal initially, is reviling him, mocking him, screaming at him. So mean-spirited, so degrading, so nasty. Jesus has been scourged, but that isn't enough. He's been beaten, but that isn't enough. He's been given a crown of thorns, but that isn't enough. According to the prophet Isaiah, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Friends, that means as Jesus is being crucified, you can't even tell that he's human. That's how much he's suffered. But this criminal can hear him. And from that marred appearance, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Jesus has been arrested illegally, endured a mockery of a trial, tortured under Pontius Pilate. Only for him to respond, Father, forgive them. It's remarkable he continues praying, isn't it? He continues to trust the Father. The wickedness of sinners on full display. Friends, sometimes you will look around the world and it might shake your faith a little bit. So, man, it is wicked. But Jesus is so steadfast. When human beings have done their very worst, Jesus prays for mercy to be given to them. And if we put these uh, verses here together, you notice uh, they, the, the rulers, that's the religious folks. Hey, some of the meanest people on the planet are the religious folks, aren't they? People who can quote the Bible like that, but man, the way they can treat others. Friends, I, I do want you to know, I want to pause by saying, that's not of the Lord. Just because you quote the Bible doesn't mean you know the God of the Bible. This is his character displayed. They, 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 they scoff at him and say, hey, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. Well, friends, for God to answer the prayer that he's praying for people to be forgiven, he can't save himself. He can't come off the cross. It's the only way for us to be rescued. And the criminal on the cross can hear him praying for the very ones who mock him. Who does this? Jesus doesn't mumble words of self-pity. As Peter will say, well, let's just go on and read it. For this you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So in the midst of the violence, in the midst of the... Uh, you got, all, got it all there at the cross, don't you? The soldier's cynicism and indifference, he's praying. The, the thief on the cross is paying for his crimes against the empire. But friends, we got bigger problems than that. Who's going to pay for our crimes against the holy God? 
Jesus will. Jesus has. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Then we begin to see a turn in the criminal's disposition. He knows he's about to die. He's been at Jesus' side. He's here. He's heard him praying. And then in verse 39, one of the criminals, the other one, who's hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Look at his question. Do you not fear God? Hey, a couple of weeks, didn't we study this? It's a starting point. This is the starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, right, of wisdom. And uh, it begins to clearly dawn on this thief. He's got a serious, serious problem. What he says, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. Let's just make a couple of observations. Number one, we, we, don't know, we, we don't know exactly what this criminal did, do we? We know he did something. We don't know much about his life. We don't know his parents. We don't know his family situation. We do know some things. The religious leaders of the day were not trustworthy, were they? The Romans weren't really trustworthy. This criminal has, has lived in sort of a corrupt society, not in any way justifying his, his crimes, but... What I'm trying to get at is he comes to a point where he decides it's not somebody else's fault and it's not somebody else's responsibility. He realizes that he's guilty before God. So, so let's think about this. There's a proper fear of God. He's understanding his own guilt. He understands the due penalty for his sin. And then he turns to Jesus. Friends, that's repentance. That's why he's in heaven. That's why he's with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, isn't this so succinct? But listen, listen to what he says. Truly, it's the word amen. Remember when you come into your kingdom. Amen, Jesus says. I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's just get some good Bible doctrine from this succinct statement of Jesus, answers a lot of questions. Who's going to be with Jesus? What does he say? You. Now, you are going to be you forever. How about that? You're going to be you forever. He says, you will be with me in paradise. Do you know who you have to deal with? You have to deal with you. Kind of, the world is, kind of the world solutions to some things is always external. Change of scenery, change of job, change of this, change that. But wherever you go, guess who's going to be there? You. The hope and change you need is not outside of you. The hope and change you need is inside of you. And here's the truth, friends. God loves the real you. Death does not end your existence. You're going to go right on being you. You have a body, but you're not a body. Does that make sense? So, so 
I would tell you parenthetically, by the way, it's really foolish to spend your whole life worrying about your physical body. It's temporary. It's a shell. Your life will go on after your body expires. And praise God for the resurrection when we will get a new body. Amen? You act and experience through your body, but you are more than arms and legs and lungs and brain and heart and stomach. Don't you feel, desire, remember, imagine, evaluate, decide with your soul? Now, your life began when God joined your body and soul together. Your life here on earth ends when your soul is separated from your body. And then one day, for those who are followers of Jesus, he will will unite your soul to a resurrection body. When does Jesus say it will happen? It's the real you. And he said to him, truly I say to you, when? Today. Not a delay, not a holding room, not not a waiting room. Today, you will what? What is heaven, friends? Be with me. So I'll ask you this way. If you go, could go to heaven with the caveat that Jesus wouldn't be there, would you take it? It helps you understand if you really, honestly, if you're really going there. If I, <laughs> but heaven is with Jesus. Genesis 3, God drove them out. Into the Bible, God welcomes them back in. How does he do it? Only through Jesus. That's the definition of eternal life. Where's he going to be? Paradise. A place where death, pain, suffering, and sin are no more. So we got it. That's a succinct statement. Isn't Jesus a great teacher? You got the who, what, when, where, and now let's get the how. Does Jesus say, truly I tell you, if you'll join a church, you'll be with me in paradise? That's not what he said, is it? If you'll be baptized. Hey, I'm a Baptist preacher. I think baptism is important. But he doesn't say that either, does he? If you'll go on a mission trip. If you'll tithe, you'll be with me in paradise. That's not what he says, is it? He doesn't have time for any of those things. He's about to die. Now, I will say, I think if he had more days, he would have done those things. But he is saved by grace through faith in Christ. He is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The story of this criminal proves that getting to heaven depends on Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Jesus who gets you in, Jesus who opens the door. Nobody can open the door but Jesus. But if Jesus opens the door, friends, nobody can close it. The Father forgives the criminal, here's one of the first answers to the prayer. I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Now, if you do have an outline, just real briefly, our aim today is that you see the character of Christ displayed through his death and resurrection. So I want to give you a few things that are true about Jesus that, that really aren't true of anybody else. You find things in the character of Christ that you don't find anywhere else. This combination of things that are usually exclusive in everyone else that you know. So let's start with this. Jesus is tender without being weak. He's tender without being weak. We got a month old at our house. And uh, sometimes we'll take turns holding that little baby girl. And as we're passing her off, 
Sometimes we stand, I mean, have you got her head? Have you got, have you, you got, got support? We stand there for five minutes between each other trying to make sure as tenderly as possible we pass her from one to the other. It's tenderness. It's not weakness. It's, it's tenderness. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we always treated people that way? Look how tender Jesus is with Mary. I see. I see. Shattered. Sword piercing your soul. You see the tunic. You remember putting it together. You remember making it. You remember the day that I left and you gave it to me and I've worn it and now you see it. Bloodstained. And I know it's in your mind right now. If he's gone, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to support me? Where am I going to live? He's tender. And he's tender with the, with the criminal, right? This man who's probably treated everybody around him roughly, Jesus, is tender without one bit of weakness, right? This is what meekness is, is tenderness without weakness. Jesus has said, man... I, Step my fingers, I could call it a legion of angels and wipe all of y'all out. But I'm going to endure agony on the cross so that you can be reconciled to me. Secondly, we can see that Jesus is strong without being harsh. He's been treated harshly, hasn't he? I mean, the most natural thing in the world is to treat other people the way that they treat you. Somebody's harsh to you, you be harsh to them. Somebody yells at you, you yell at them. He was reviled, but reviled not in return. Man, we're so harsh to each other these days, aren't we? Every glance you get of Jesus. When he washes the disciples' feet, he's not sarcastic about it. One of y'all could have been doing this, right? He's not domineering. He doesn't serve with a huff. Well, since nobody else will. And we're so harsh to each other these days. The way we speak to one another, especially it feels to me like online. Harsh, man. So many posts that I see people make, there's a harshness about it, an insult to somebody. That's not strength, friends. That's not strength. Jesus never insults, never rails. You don't have to be harsh to be strong. As a matter of fact, if you're harsh, you're giving evidence that in the ways that really matter, you're not strong at all. In fact, don't you think it's his strength and resolve in the face of being treated harshly that draws the criminal to him? I've never seen anything like this never been around anybody like this the church of the lord jesus christ if it's led of the spirit and glorifying to him will not be known for its harshness but known for its tenderness and real strength in fact it's it's when the soldiers treat him so flippantly and what's precious to Mary, Jesus responds so lovingly. But let's keep thinking about it so we can get a whole picture of Jesus. He's also humble without being uncertain. 
You know, sometimes we think if I'm humble, I'm not ever clear about convictions or things that I really believe. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Jesus isn't that way, is he, friends? Here's a king who's not arrogant. Most human beings don't handle authority well. Have you noticed this? Once they get a status and once they get a, a, a sort, sort of a position of authority, they, they often leverage that position of authority for themselves. Very rarely does someone get a status of wealth or influence and they become increasingly humble. But Jesus has all authority, all power, all dominion, and he's always humble. You know, Philippians 2, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, took, but made himself of no reputation. Hey, friends, you don't have to worry about your reputation so much. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But it's not a humility that leads to uncertainty, meaning that he does not ever want to take a stand. He's always taking a stand. He's not just going to do whatever I have to do to get along. No, that's not humility. That's still self-preservation, and Jesus is not that. You know one of the great gifts of God in Jesus Christ? He liberates you from self-absorption, and that is wonderful. One other trait you see is that Jesus has deep convictions without being unapproachable. You see what? Usually, if you find one of these things, you don't find the other. Or the first on the list, you don't find the last. But Jesus is all of these things. He's, he's absolutely resolute, but also absolutely accessible. Sinners and tax collectors love to be around him. At his death, as the prophet said, he's numbered with transgressors. So here, in conclusion, is what I want to emphasize about him. We've seen his character. We started by this. Jesus sacrificially serves his family and makes sure they have what they need. What we see here is Jesus loved his enemies like family. Amen? That's who he is. Mary and the criminal... At first glance, we'd say they don't fit together, but they do, they do fit together at the cross. So in conclusion, if you belong to him today, trust that he knows, he sees. The same Christ who was crucified for you is risen and reigning and no less concerned for you right now than he was upon the cross. If you belong to him, can we go back to the word? He is going to bring you home. Where he is, there you may also be. And then secondly, in conclusion, if you are someone who rails against him, wants nothing to do with him, he's not railing back at you. He loves you, has a place for you. Today, you could be with him. That's the grace of God. 
transforming his enemies into his family. Now, all of that's awesome, seeing him at the cross, but here's how we know we can really trust it. He's not in the grave. He's not still there. If he was still there, this would just be, at best, some good ideas. But he went into the grave and came out. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray together. We're going to worship the Lord together, sing to him. So here's our invitation as we conclude. Of course, for the song we're about to sing, but then as the week to come. Let's think about it this way. If given the opportunity, how would that criminal on the cross worship the Lord? How would he live? How, how would he go about his day-in-and-day-out life? Do you think he'd be clothed in gratitude, clothed in humility? Don't you, be, don't you think he would be becoming more and more like Jesus? And then to work it back to Mary just for a moment. You can trust him. He is not going to leave you forsaken, homeless, unprovided for. Remember, he looked at John. So here's the last call invitation. Some of us in the room need to take a step in helping and providing for other people who have needs. Father, what, what more could you do for us than what you've done for us in Christ? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his character. Who a person really is, is evident when they suffer. And who Jesus is in his suffering. First of all, he never had to endure any of it. He had no sin of his own. He takes our shame on himself. Thank you. Thank you for us being able to see who you really are. I, I pray for those who are here and they're just nervous about the future, nervous about what's to come, where they've got an overwhelming <laughs> load right now give them assurance to know that you see you care you know you will provide help us as a church be people who are quick to help when others have needs and, and then if there's someone here today and really their, dis, their whole disposition to you is either indifference like the soldiers or it's kind of mocking Lord would you give us grace to see your character clearly so we can know your heart as it truly is. In Jesus' name, amen.